Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we have had some very interesting venues for podcasts. But today we are sat in a rental car. Greg Haynes here and Shane Shaky Byrne, the six-time British Superbike champion for the latest Shaky Show at Snetterton. Just uh, tell us, you know, what are we actually doing here? Why are we sat in your rental car? Well, because, you know, when, when somebody pushes the boat out for you and really, you know, really looks after you on your, on your flight back, you know, you want to spend as much time in a vehicle like this as you possibly can. And, you know, when you said to me, look, Shaky, we need to be doing a podcast or we've got to do the podcast straight after the, uh, you know, after the racing finishes, and I thought, well, what better venue than the back of the Honda Jazz? You know, I don't know if we should explain, actually, that I'm sat in a driver's seat because we've got the aircon on um, and, and you're in the back of the Jazz. And, and yeah, away we go. It must look quite odd for people that are uh, walking and driving past us as they leave the circuit. <laughs> How was your drive from Stansted? Because obviously you've come in from Spain to Stansted and, and drove up in the Honda Jazz, which you sent a message to us all saying it was comfortable, you know, the ride was good, good performance. Um, you're laughing now, you know, how, how was it? I did 60 miles to the gallon, Greg. It doesn't matter how comfortable it was. <laughs> that kind of fuel economy just rocks my boat. I, I love that sign of stuff, you know. It's, uh, I think I'm doing really well in my little veto when I get like... 37 to the gallon or whatever it does 40 to the gallon if you're really careful but yeah this this thing's <laughs> totally eclipsed it oh dear i was expecting to hear shane speaking in such economical ways uh, as a six-time champion but obviously we've had a weekend of bike racing here at snetterton scott redding's gone and done it again hasn't he, he was here we record this on Sunday night. He was here 13 days ago on the Monday for a track day on a road-going Panigale V4R on slick tyres. That's obviously paid off, but what a season he's having. It's absolutely phenomenal, isn't it? And, um, you know, it's kind of difficult when you're when you're on air and, and you know, you're talking about Scott because, you know, it's just becoming um, almost like the the Scott Redding show at the moment, you know, in much the same way, to be fair, as the as the World Superbike Championship became the Alvaro Batista mm. show. But, you know, this is motorbike racing and, and things can change really, really quickly. So, yes, yeah, Scott's riding the, the, the crest of a wave at the moment, but, um, you know, it's important to, to remain focused. He's got another couple of new tracks coming up. I think he's had a run out of Cadwell Park already, but um, he's never even seen Thruxton. And, uh, yeah, you know, he's done a great job here. From lap four onwards, he was fastest, basically, for the whole weekend. And, uh, yeah, just well, what can you say about the guy? I mean, he's fast enough to, to finish runner-up in the Moto2 World Championship to Mark Marquez. He's fast enough to top um, winter pre-season testing in MotoGP. You know, there was absolutely never going to be 
any question whatsoever about his speed or you know his his ability to ride a motorcycle i think the only the only reservations you know the world in general had regarding scott redding coming to bsb was how he'd get on with you know the tracks um you know quirky little tracks barriers a lot closer than perhaps they are in MotoGP. um you know dodgy weather conditions you know it's not like uh, riding around Catalonia in 35 degrees with, you know, barriers that are miles away or whatever and, and riding around at, I don't know, perhaps Cadwell Park, if you like, or, or yeah. somewhere like that where, you know, the, the track's really narrow and whatever else. You know, that, that was the only question mark. But he's shown so far that, uh, you know, he's passed all of those tests with flying colours. No, we better get this out of the way because we've been reading Twitter. We've been in the press room. We've been in the paddock officially. Scott. Uh, Reading did not he said Scott Smart then Scott Reading did not jump the start that's the official line what's your take on the whole thing because there are let's just say many an opinion around Snetterton at the moment about that I think there's always going to be many an opinion and at the end of the day people's opinions are you can't really swear in a podcast can you but you know when you say something like everybody's got opinions and they're entitled to share it well the only person's one that really counts is, is Stuart Higgs. He said it wasn't a jump start. <laughs> what can you do? How can you argue with that? He's the race director. He's the guy that makes the call. And, you know, he said no advantage was gained. Um, Scott didn't jump the start. So, you know, we could debate about this and, and we could debate about it on social media forever and a day. But, you know, Stuart made that call and, uh, yeah, it's for everybody to, to respect. Yeah, of course, Stuart made reference to a similar situation with Leon Haslam at Cadwell Park last year. And, of course, jump starts were much debated anyway, weren't they, earlier this season with the infamous Cal Crutchlow situation in Argentina. OK, well, that's out of the way. Scott Redding, a so great one, weekend one, for him. Just to, just to clarify the whole situation for me, yeah. a, a jump start, in my opinion, um, was always, if you moved um, before the lights went out, you got a jump start penalty. You know, we saw Cal Crutchlow, as you said earlier in the year, was it earlier this year or the end of last year or whatever? This year, yeah. Um, he got a jump start penalty, but as you alluded to, the rules in BSB are whatever he makes them, and, and he made the rule that it weren't a jump start, and he's a race director, so let's respect his decision and, and you know, reflect rather on the, you know, the brilliant display Scott's put on than, than, you know, any controversy about, you know, a start, you know, the guy won the race regardless, so... I've heard from a colleague in the paddock just talking about that same team that Josh Brooks was apparently furious and stormed out of the back of the garage this evening. I don't quite know why exactly, and I must admit I've uh, I didn't see that myself, but I've certainly been told by a good source. What do you reckon as to Josh's performance this weekend? Josh wanted it, didn't he? Mm. Um, and and pushed blooming hard. Didn't what, he? The one thing that really impressed me about Josh, um, especially in race two, uh, we saw it a little bit in race one, but in race two on the exit of Oggies, before you go on to the back straight, there's a there's obviously tarmac and there's obviously a white line which determines the track limits, and then there's some green paint on the outside of that white line before mm. it goes into the hardcore or the grass or whatever it is that's beyond that, and. Um, Josh, every lap of the 12 or 13 laps that he led was absolutely inch perfect every single lap on that bit of green paint right to the edge of it and yeah. uh, I just watched him and thought, you know what, fair play mate, you know, that's that's commitment and, and that's a really, really impressive uh, effort. Our colleague Rachel Stringer is <laughs> just about to leave the circuit. She probably doesn't know why we're both sat in a car together recording a podcast. That was shaky, scaring her. Let's see whether Rachel wants to uh, make an appearance. Here she we're comes. We're doing our podcast, Rachel. Hi. Come in, Rachel. Down a little bit. 
bit. I'm sat in the back of the car. Shaky's in the driving oh, seat. Yeah, we're recording. You better come and say hello now. Get in the car. Get in the Honda oh, Jazz. Get in the Honda. We've never recorded one on a car before. How are you, Rachel? I'm good. Um, Do you know the last guest we had in in my podcast was Stuart Higgs? Well, you're the second ever guest. How do you feel about that? Honoured. Yeah. Absolutely. I Thanks for having me. Um, right, brilliant weekend. Obviously going to be though because it's um, the Norfolk grounds where I grew up, where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, you're not far, uh, far from here at all, are you? No, about 40 minutes. Well, my parents are. Um, Why is there no Stringer Corner at Snetterton there? Well, there should be. Let's start a petition to, yeah. to a get par- one made. A Partridge Corner and a Stringer Corner. Yeah, Partridge, yeah. I mean, I think I'm bigger than Partridge. Absolutely, you are. Actually, tell us about the plane. Statue, but yeah. <laughs> oh, plane was you were in the Quattro plane on Thursday, weren't you? Yeah, so Quattro plane on Thursday. I obviously, was going to celebrate their 30th birthday. That's what they've been celebrating. And they didn't actually tell me that it was going to be a stunt plane. Um, I just thought oh, really? I was going to go up and have a little kind of flight around the circuit and see it from above. Really excited, got there, and they told me it was a stunt plane. So, um, <laughs> if you watch the video that went out on Eurosport, I was, you know, when you're really dry mouth and you can't really speak, the intro there was like, yeah. Um, I didn't realise what I was doing. I literally didn't. So, uh, yeah, it was great. We did a loop the loop. We did uh, like ridiculous kind of angles we were leaning at. Um, great fun. I love uh, silly stuff like that. If anyone wants a more Rachel Stringer insight, we walked the track, didn't we, here last night, you and I. We did the whole lap shaky. We just got to the end, just didn't towards the last corner. Me, didn't it start raining? It uh, very much started raining. We got soaked. Taron McKenzie, we haven't caught up with him, have we, because he didn't stop to pick us up. But Rachel, we got to the end of that show. Oh, my God, Greg, I've dropped my keys. With a really deadpan, serious expression, I said, no, you haven't. And she hadn't. She lied. But she tried to scare me. What's your feelings on that? Well, Gregory... <laughs> Gullible Gregory! <laughs> what can, I, what, what can, what can I you say? do? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's You're really, lost for words. I think it's really good to walk the circuit, like you know, especially being kind of new. To you know, what about the keys incident? Oh, well, that was just being fun, Greg. You know what I'm like. <laughs> I like to have a bit of a laugh. But no, I think walking the circuit here—it's probably I the think... longest one we chose, though, in the rain. Yes. Um, but Taryn and Jason, if you're listening, you could have stopped to pick us up. We did try and hitchhike a couple of times. Three times, Taryn McKenzie went past us, waving, pointing, laughing. Yeah. While we were getting soaked. Well, that's what Taz does, doesn't he? He does have a, like I, a giggle. I ass. actually think that what you should do is consider yourself extremely lucky. She never made you run the track. She did try to, didn't you? I tried to get him to. I actually bought my kit and I walked up to him with my light career and I was like, we're running? And he was like, definitely not, Rage. So I switched into my trainers. I made him run a couple of the straights, actually. I kind of... And you actually ex- did drop your keys and I, I won I that did. bit. I used the excuse that it was raining. So I was like, come on, we have to run. And he was like, oh, gosh. And did try and race me to one of the corners. Uh, he won, won because, let me get that in there, um, I dropped my keys. So I'd be very that. disappointed if there's any other reason, to be fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know what I interrupted there. Great weekend. Scott Redding, again. Awesome. Did the double. Um, just really great at learning these tracks. He didn't know him to Thruxton either. Mm. But um, we'll go around there on his cycle and the road bike and seems to just get into them super easily. And I don't know, just has a feel for these, these circuits, Shane. He must be impressed. Probably uh, already chatted about this. Yeah, well, do you know what? We've literally, literally just covered it. I mean, um, Greg said, didn't you, that um, Scott came here and done a track down a road bike mm. and uh, spent some time on a, on a Panigale road bike and, and obviously learnt the track. But um, the, the cool thing, I think, about Scott's approach in general is that he's actually really enjoying... This is the part of, of 
going to BSB that he enjoys, you know, learning new tracks and, you know, discovering new places to ride. Because if you take him, you know, like you take a BSB rider to Knock Hill, for instance, if you took Scott back to, to Catalonia and said, oh, we're going to go to Catalonia, it would be like, oh, yeah, I don't know, a million times. Yeah. But yeah. it's not like that for him at all. It's like, oh, great, you know, that's another new track. I love riding my bike, you know, and, and he's always really excited about it. The one thing I will say is that Fruxton will be a little bit more tricky in some ways just because there's never any track time there. It's such a difficult track to get to get to ride on. And his teammate in particular, Josh Brooks, is is extremely strong there. So, uh, yeah, Josh will be looking to uh, to reverse the fortunes of the PBM team when they when they go down to Andover in a couple of weeks' time. Talking of the PBM team, that's your old team, of course. Paul has tweeted in, would Shaky be interesting in running his own race team? No chance. <laughs> I can't cope with the stress of working for Eurosport, let alone the stress of trying to run a race team. Oh, you love it. You absolutely love working with this team. I um, absolutely agree with you, Rachel. And in fact, uh, Gerald Farrell has actually tweeted in, does Shaky ever waver in his determination to get back to racing? Or is there ever a voice in his head telling him to stick with Eurosport? Yes, Gerald, there's a voice in his head telling him to stick with Eurosport, isn't there? Oh, there is. But I, I think, knowing Shane, if he could do both, that would be his dream job. I think, honestly, that uh, the only difficult decision for me at the moment, or it's not even a decision, you imagine putting yourself in a situation where, where you don't actually know the answer. Mm. Um, that's the hardest thing. As a, as a racer, you're always in control of your own destiny. You know, you get out what you put in. So, you know, if you want to win races, you need to train harder, diet better, you know, be smarter, work harder and do better than all of your rivals. And of course, you need to have a little bit of talent and a decent team with you. But, you know, if you go and, and turn into a, a lazy idiot whilst you're a motorcycle racer and you start eating bad food all the time and you get fat and heavy, you know, it doesn't matter how much talent you've got, you're not going to win a race. So I've been so used to controlling my own destiny for the last 20 odd years and being, you know, fully in control of, of what I do and what I've achieved um, that at the moment being told by a doctor, well, you've got to wait till September before we can tell you yes, no, um, do, don't, whatever. Um, and in that time, you know, we don't want you training or stressing anything. You know, you need to understand, uh, you know, the complexity and the seriousness of your injuries and, and, you know, take them into account before you even think about getting going again. That's, that's the thing that's been the hardest to take for me. So it's not that when people ask me, oh, are you going to come back racing? And I say, I don't know. I, I don't mean I don't know if I want to ride a motorbike again. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm even mm. going to be able to. And, and that's, the, that's the bit that's hard to deal with. How do you find uh, motorcycle races, Rach? Because you do lots of other sports as well. You must meet loads of different athletes. and I mean, you do football. Just um, what, Actually, which sports do you cover? Football, athletics? Yeah, I mean, over the course of my career so far, I've probably covered pretty much all of them. Yeah. But at the moment, I do a lot of esports, which is FIFA, a lot of football, athletics, obviously this, some tennis. Um, mm. That's kind of my current sporting repertoire. So here's, here's a question for you then, right, yeah. from me. How many other sportsmen do you know that 20 days after breaking a leg would be back mm. on a superbike and finishing in the top six of a BSB race? <laughs> Absolutely none. And that's why I think I have so much respect for these mm. riders and also why I love this sport so much. Genuinely do. I have worked in a lot of sports and, um, you know, in football, if someone breaks a leg or whatever, they're, they're probably out for the entire season. Yeah. Rehabbing and kind of getting stronger again, then having a personal trainer, going abroad into beautiful weather somewhere to recover mm. and recuperate um, takes such a long time. Um, but yeah, these guys come back so quickly. In athletics, that's a sport I used to do. Um, I've had stress fractures in my sacrum before. Again, probably like some of these guys I had. And 
I remember getting that one season in about April time and coming back in about July for the national championships. Had to do that to keep on funding, national funding that I was on, um, to make a race. And that was couple of weeks I didn't and then he got dropped off funding and that's how brutal it is in there which I guess is the same thing if you don't come back quick enough I was quite young at the time and was like didn't really know how to deal with it didn't have a great team around me but same as these guys they don't come back and get results that's it you're Some, gone people somebody, don't believe somebody in you. Steals your ride yeah. someone yeah. steals your ride or in my case just steals spot on funding yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you then you haven't got the support for next year and you kind of you know have to find it elsewhere or you kind of question what you're doing and you don't fall out of love with it, but you're like, oh, people don't believe in me, and you mm. lack belief maybe in yourself. But, yeah, back to your question, these guys are blooming awesome. Christian Eden and his little cast, I think if you were watching, he got it out for me, showed me. It was really tough, and I said, what, your team made that up? And he was like, yeah, well, it kind of supported me a bit better. Yeah. And he wasn't even talking about discomfort in the race. He was just talking about the chatter of the bike. And I was like, but uh, problems with your leg? He's like, didn't really feel it. You know, I was, had a bit of chatter, a bit of discomfort from that. I was like, oh, yeah. Typical Christian. Adrenaline's a wonderful thing, right? It's crazy though, isn't it? I mean, how can you jump back? Why is it then that a bike racer can jump back on with a broken leg or whatever, while a football player or somebody else cannot? Because if a motorbike racer doesn't jump back on his on his mm. bike, whatever the injury, somebody else will jump on it for him, and you can't afford to to lose that ride or lose that spot, and you don't want to lose that ride or lose that spot. So, you you know, I always said that um, when you have an accident as a motorbike racer. When you're rolling through the gravel or you're about to crash into a tire wall or an air fence or whatever you're going to hit, I always believe that the, the second you have a crash and you stop thinking, right, okay, I've maybe done a wrist, okay, that's a couple of weeks, or I've maybe done this, that's that, right, but when can I get back on the bike? When's the, you know, when's the soonest? I thought that if I ever found myself in a situation where I rolled through the gravel mm. and thought, oh, flipping out that hurt, then it would be time to stop because if you lost that determination that drive and that focus then you shouldn't put yourself in a situation where you're going to ride a motorbike at 200 miles an hour around a track because it's just it's just too dangerous but never once in my career not even with this this big one um to be fair the big one knocked me out so i can't remember much about it anyway but uh, never once in my career have i ever rolled around even if you break an ankle or break a leg or whatever and thought oh no that really hurt that's me done for whatever you you do it and you think right which was the doctor that was the specialist in that department right how can i get right call the insurance broker quick i need a i need an operation and get me air medded over to wherever and let's get fixed and let's call the hyperbaric chamber let's call the laser man let's call the magnetic field therapy people let's call the, the you know the physios and let's let's get back on the bike and, and get going again and, and you know that's the, the mentality we have that's what I also love about this paddock and you know BSB is how friendly everyone is. When someone's injured, everybody tries to help. I was yeah. chatting to Keith Farmer, who's obviously not here this weekend. I, I messaged him and I said, you know, how are you getting on? He, and he kind of went through his process. He's had his pins, he's had his skin grafts um, on crutches. I saw he rode a, a bike, a cycle bike, for a couple of minutes, I think, yesterday. But he also said he's trying cryotherapy. Mm. But Paul Bird suggested it to him. I was like, OK, yeah, so somebody else different team yeah. so Ducati is helping the BMW like I love that everybody's helping each other and everybody wants everyone to do well so yeah again. everyone sticks together don't they racing and which is really nice isn't it mm. whether it's media side rider side the paddock Medical, sticks together yeah everything yeah. so you know I love that and I think you know full throttle motorsport I was talking to her I said oh are you okay she's like yeah I'm off to help Scott Redding, Redding out he came off in warm up and make sure he's okay and everyone's just yeah. so friendly and making sure everyone is in peak physical condition to get on the bike and try and do the best they can but I'm 
conscious I'm gate crashing your podcast party. So on <laughs> this time, right. I'm going to take a selfie and I'm going to go and I'll tweet this out. Um, well, it wouldn't be a Rachel Stringer moment without a selfie, game would it? Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I never thought this would happen. in the back of a Honda Jazz rental car. I love the Honda Jazz. Whose is it? Oh, it's Shaky Burns. Rachel, the door's that way. That was Rachel Stringer there, um, who's now blowing his kisses from the grass car park. Right, let's talk about Tommy Bridewell because what an emotional weekend it's been for Tommy. Obviously, he was very emotionally charged yesterday, Saturday, with obviously terribly the 12th anniversary of his brother's death or his passing. Um, and I think that got to him a little bit yesterday, didn't it? Yeah, I was actually at that race event when that happened as well. Um, Mallory Park. Mallory it? Park it was. Um, you know, obviously that's got to be one of the toughest things you could ever deal with. And I I actually watched the the race this morning, or this afternoon, depending on how you want to look at it, the first race. Mm. And when Tommy got in the lead, I was like, do you ever do that thing, right? You know, here we're stuck one side of the track or the other, right? Yeah. And, you, and you watch a clock and you you think that you've had a five minute conversation with somebody and then you turn around and you look at the clock again and then the clock's gone down by one minute or something and you're <laughs> like, oh, come on, I've still got six minutes till I can cross the track. Yeah. Well, I was watching that race and uh, like looked at the laps to go and I was like, come on, Tommy, come on, Tommy, come on, Tommy, you got this, you got this Tommy, come on. And then I'd kind of turn away and look and talk to somebody, speak to Matt, speak to Wit, speak to whoever, and then uh, you know look back at the track and think, right, okay, he's got to be like three or four laps to go now, and then it'd be down to like eight laps to go. And I was like, oh, come on, I've never actually <laughs> willed a race on so much in my you know in my time working for Eurosport. I really wanted him to uh, to be rewarded with a win today, but unfortunately for Tommy, it wasn't meant to be. And when he mm. went down, I was just like, oh, Tommy. Tommy, 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 what have you gone and done? But um, listen, in the, in the championship standings, it, it doesn't really make that much difference. I think he's right at the top of the championship. And OK, he's not leading it now, Scott Redding is, and he's opened up that advantage. But uh, I think Tommy's relatively safe in the, in the position yeah. he's in. And let's not forget, actually, that, that Fruxton's Tommy's home race. He's not a million miles away from there. Always goes well at Fruxton. He's on the V4R. He's riding fantastically. The team are great. You know, they all seem to be really happy working together. And... Yeah, who knows, maybe that, that first win will come for him in his, in his home round. What he did do, unfortunately, with that is throw away five podium points, and who knows how important that might end up being. But Scott Redding, I think, has got a pretty handy advantage with the podium points anyway. What about Tommy's reaction after race two, though, when he said, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really going well enough at the moment. These guys shouldn't be finishing ahead of me on the same bike. He was very honest, but what did you make of it? If I'm perfectly honest to you, um, when those interviews happened, I was talking to Scott Redding's uncle, um, mm. Daryl came over and was just chatting away about a few bits and pieces, and uh, I missed all of the all of the podium interviews. So, uh, you know, when we came back on air, and the guys were like, "Oh, you know, this has happened. You know, what did you think of this? What did you think of that? And what about Tommy's comments or whatever?" And I actually, I actually missed them. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was, I was kind of speaking with Daryl about a few things with Scott and how Scott was feeling, and, and yeah, I'm not trying to be a not trying to be a journalist, if you like, but just trying to understand where Scott's at with everything. And you know, sometimes the the insight you gain from from speaking to people that are close to to a rider, mm. you know, is is as good as, as speaking directly yeah. to the rider themselves. And, and Daryl's a great guy. He's been with Scott from from the get go. You know, he's he's. Uh, He's his uncle, but he's he's almost like uh, yeah, he's almost like he's his right hand man, his uncle, his best friend, he's he's everything all rolled into one. So uh, he's a good guy to talk to. Tommy was basically just saying, look, um, I'm not performing as well as I should be at the moment. Though, words to that effect. And Josh and 
Scott shouldn't be ahead of me on the same bike. I shouldn't be letting them pull away, but we'll come back stronger. I suppose at least he's been honest. He's not, you know, he's been true to himself, isn't he? Which he always is, actually, Tommy. I think that's why everybody uh, feels the way they feel about Tommy Bridewell, to be honest, because, you know, love him or hate him, he he's honest, you know, and sometimes that, that honesty makes him say stuff that, you know, people don't particularly appreciate, but on many other occasions it makes people think cool blimey this this is quite refreshing you know yeah um i think that uh with josh 100 percent um tommy will be looking at josh and thinking i should be beating the guys on the same bike whether it's it's quantifiable to say you know i should be beating scott red and he's on the same bike um yeah i think that maybe maybe you might need to consider the fact that that scott's been where he's been and and scott's done what he's done um you know i could tell you right now that if i came back to to bsb next season and scott was in it the only thing i couldn't quantify is i could tell you i'll win races i could tell you i'll fight for a championship but could i beat scott redden i don't know because I've never beaten, I've never raced against him. Mm. Um, do I watch him racing and think I could never beat him? No, of course I don't. Because mm. if you thought that, you'd beat him before you even get on the track. Yeah. So, the amount of fans that have said to me, "Oh, it'd be great to see you out there now," you know, do you think you'd still be winning? Well, of course I think I'd still be winning yeah. because aside from one guy, everybody else I've been beating week in week out for the last seven years or whatever it's been. I've never finished any lower than second in the championship, and in the other years I've won it. Um, you know, I was a, a back-to-back defending champion. Why would I ever believe that I, I couldn't go out there and win races mm. now? But at the same time, the one thing I can't quantify is whether or not I'd be able to do that with Scott. And I think that, you know, Tommy has got the same bike as Scott. He has got the, you know, the, the team that he's happy in. Um, and, you know, Scott is the only variable. And, you know, Scott's the guy that's got the pedigree. You know, the guy's beaten Mark Marquez. You know, we're not talking about a yeah, guy that's yeah. that's been racing against a load of, um, you know, second-rate riders. We're talking about a guy that's come from the Formula One of motorcycle racing. I wanted to talk a bit about Macam's Yamaha. Not so much shaky about their weekend because we know it hasn't been the best one for them. Tara McKenzie's at a podium, but then they both had DNFs in the second race. Jason Halloran, of course, being his teammate. I just wanted to talk about the fact that at the moment there seems like there's a big gap between the two. Now, we don't need to doubt Jason Halloran. He's a race winner. He's a multiple podium finisher. We know he's got what it takes. I'm just wondering, through your career, you've pretty much always been the teammate who's been ahead. So usually, what has the reason been when you've had a teammate who's been so far behind? What is it? Is it lack of experience? Is it, do they talk themselves into the fact, you know, I'm beating before I've started? What usually is a reason for one teammate to be so far behind the other? Because... We know those two are quite equal on, I guess, talent and ability. Correct me if you think I'm wrong, but, you know, why? It's a long way back at the moment for a Halloran. Jason is having a really tough time at the moment, and the problem when, with racing, um, obviously this is my opinion, um, and it's my opinion because I've been a professional racer for such a long time, but, you know, the one thing I will say is that this is all I've ever dreamt of, right? This isn't... uh, this isn't a little fad that I've gone through or whatever. My earliest school books at school will tell you that all I ever dreamt mm-hmm. of being was a motorbike racer, right? Yeah. So obviously I'm, I'm speaking through rose-tinted glasses. But when racing is going well and, you know, everything's going great, you're winning races, you know, it's the best job in the world, 100%, right? I love my job. But when racing's going bad, 
mm. it's one of the toughest jobs in the world and unfortunately for some guys um, when racing is going bad it's almost like that snowball effect you know like one thing starts just a little thing and you know it kind of gathers momentum gathers pace you know the snow starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger mm, and mm. you know before you know it Jason's had his his worst weekend of the year by far I mean he's not been particularly competitive he's crashed three times and that's not Jason O'Halloran mm. that guy I thought honestly that that guy on that bike at the beginning of the year was a match made in heaven yeah he looked yeah, me too. so good on the Yamaha um, so composed so competitive dominated winter testing you know that's a switched on team the McCams Yamaha team um, it's a great bike and yeah I thought I thought Jason was going to be you know right up there and fight for the championship but you know he's in a he's in a situation right now where for some reason in the last few outings something's changed with that bike that's necessitated a riding style change for him that he's struggling to you know put in place because you know we're we're halfway through the championship yeah you don't yeah. just start changing your style you know you what he was doing all through winter testing, all through um, you know the early rounds of the championship, he nearly won the first race apart <laughs> from his teammate collecting him yeah. and wiping him out. He would have been he would have been you know the the race one winner at um, at Silverstone. So clearly has the speed, clearly has the ability, clearly has the pace to 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 win. Um, but he's found himself in this situation where now they're asking him to change something, but he's thinking, well, why do I need to change? You know what I've done all through winter testing, all through this, all through that, it's been absolutely fine. What have we changed with the bike that's made it go so wrong? Mm -hmm. So I think there'll be quite a lot of head scratching going on in that team at the moment because it's not a problem that Taz has. They're saying it's down to braking styles, the way Taz gets on the brakes compared to Jason. Um, but in Jason's defense, and it is no, no bad thing towards the team, but in Jason's defense, it worked fine all through winter testing. It worked fine all through the beginning part of the season. What's changed now? Just to go back to you then, have you ever been in a rut like that when you've started a season well and then it's all gone wrong? And if you have, what did you do to get out of it again? <laughs> I didn't. That's the trouble. <laughs> That's why I ended up back in BSB. Um, I dominated the, the World Superbike tests in, in 2008 and nine, and then went to Phillip Island and smashed myself to bits and mm -hmm. then didn't really gather much momentum. Okay, I, had a, I led a race in uh, Mizano, finished second to Ben. I led the final race of the year at um, Portomayo and uh, ended up finishing fourth in that. And yeah, didn't didn't do a good enough job to, to stay in the world championship. And that's the that's the harsh reality of this sport. You know, you're only as good as your as your last race. And yeah, unfortunately for you know going back to Jason at the moment for him that's uh, that's not a particularly good race. Just before we go, Andrew Irwin seems to have turned a page, doesn't he? He's been comfortably ahead of Chavi Flores this weekend. They've been close. They made a bit of contact, didn't they, earlier on on the last lap? But he seems to have made progress, and Honda generally seem to be just gradually getting closer to the front now. It seems. Yeah, um, they're doing a great job. And do you know what? I've I've had a text message actually from um, from Glen Owen, and I don't know if he's going to mm. listen to our podcast or, or whatever. But he's been getting a little bit of an unfair rap, I think. And Glen and I are really good friends. We got on well at, at PBM, and. Before we go any further, I actually responded to somebody on Twitter who said, uh, in fact, I'll read it to you. Um, and it frustrated me a little bit because the guy 
doesn't know me, probably doesn't know Glenn. And let me see if I can find it. Yeah, so Dave Shepard it was, um, Shep1157. Is it just me who's getting the impression there's not a great deal of love for Glenn Irwin from At67 Shaky? Mm. Um, to which I actually replied, um, you know what, the, the, the problem is, Glenn and I actually get on really well, and Glenn will appreciate my comments, not, not mm. be unhappy about them, and uh, we text each other a little bit after the race, because, you know, Glenn's in a, in a really difficult situation at the moment, where he's made the change from one manufacturer to another, um, got everything that he wanted from that manufacturer, if you like, and is finding it really difficult to, to get his head around the Kawasaki at the moment, but, you know, He's won BSB races, he's no mug. Mm. And one of one of Glenn's strengths is his is his self-belief. And you know, they say in life you only get out what you put in, and Glenn Irwin probably puts in more than anybody away from the track, which is why he almost feels he's deserved or he it's his God given right to be, you know, to be competitive on a motorbike. And sometimes, um, much in the same way that, that Jason's having the problems at the minute, that's where Glenn is. And it doesn't help when the team bring in another rider and everyone's trying to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, he's going to take his job and he's going to do this, he's going to do that. Because, you know, I know from Glenn that all he wants to do is make it right. He wants to mm. be competitive. You know, he didn't sign that deal to, um, you know, to have the results he's had so far. And by contrast, his brother is, is, is doing really well. And I, made a, I actually made a joke at the, end of, um, at the end of our show earlier on saying that there's there's two Irwins in the British Superbike Championship and one talks and one listens. And yes, I've said it before. So is and, that and where the tweets come from? Is it yeah, based on that? and Glenn, Glenn kind of sent me a jokey text laughing about the fact that I'd <laughs> said it again. But, you know, people, people watch our sport, people enjoy our sport, and people have people that they particularly support or particularly follow in in the sport but what they perhaps don't understand is is like rachel alluded to earlier on we are actually all quite close we get on really well and, and glenn and i certainly do and uh you know we've had a few text messages back and forward with each other this afternoon saying you know keep me posted about your eye and i said to him listen i don't i don't want to get involved in your team or your racing thing but whilst i'm not riding if there's anything i can do to help you out mm -hmm. you know if you want a bit of hammer spotting or you want me to go for some data with you you know if there's anything you want to talk about about riding style then mate give me a shout you know we, we were teammates for three years we get on great and uh yeah it's absolutely nothing to do with the fact that um i've not got a lot of love for him at all by by complete uh contrast it's because we get on so well that i do joke about him and, and he appreciates that how is he feeling by the way with the eye what's the latest there he said he's really struggling actually um he... Strange one. Um, I think the official one was it like some sort of infection or virus? I think it was described as in in one of his eyes there for poor old Glenn Irwin. He just can't get a break at the moment, can he? Shaky's just uh, checking back through to see the exact wording now. But uh, Glenn Irwin obviously out of action. Hector Barber has been back here this weekend. The rider he subbed for earlier in the year, Ben Curry, is back, and Barber is now riding alongside Ben Curry in the Quattroplant JG Speedfit team. And it just shows how quickly things change in racing. That the reigning champion team is pretty much completely on the back foot at the moment. In some ways, that's why the championship's good, that it does change around every year, but obviously frustrating times for them. Uh, hopefully we'll see Glenn back soon. I think you found that message. Yeah, so he's basically just saying, look, he's got some issues with the bike for sure, and it's stuff that they're trying to fix, and it's stuff that they had done, and he was about to try another step here at Sneston, but... Um, 
you know, he he had a really bad case. I, I, anybody that follows him on follows him on social media would have seen that uh, he had a really bad case of tonsillitis or something. And um, Glenn gets a lot of support in Northern Ireland from mm. surgeons and from mm. hospitals and stuff like that. And uh, they gave him some steroid to try to make him better, quicker, mm. so that he was ready to go for for Snetterton. And one of the side effects, apparently, of this steroid is um, it can cause some some problems or whatever. And he woke up with like. Uh, what he described as like water on his eye. You know, like when, you, mm. when you've when you got tears in your eyes and you can't see mm. properly, he woke up, no tears, but looking, like his vision was a bit like that. Yeah, um, so he's just wanting to, um, he's just wanting to get fixed, you know, put the wrongs right and, uh, and, and get a, a fair crack at it. But, you know, the problem in this championship and, and in any championship of, of motorbike racing is the minute you're away from your bike somebody else is trying to jump on it and uh, yeah. he's perhaps feeling, feeling a little bit of pressure because of that I'm just trying to think if we missed anybody out obviously we're not going to go through the whole field but uh, Danny Buckin he was unlucky wasn't he and Josh Elliott I don't know now I must admit I've been commentating on some of the support races on the Eurosport player so I don't know what's been said but in the press room earlier on the feeling was it was maybe one of the Supersport bikes that had put some oil down in their race and maybe not Danny Buchan's bike that had put the oil down, but either way, something was on the track, wasn't it? Buchan went down, and Josh Elliott went down on the sighting lap round to the pits for race two. Yeah, the odd thing was they both went down at completely different corners, though. Yeah. And uh, you know, when I saw Danny, I wasn't 100% convinced in the in the first first instance that he crashed. I thought maybe his bike had, had packed up mm. or something, but mm. yeah, he fell down. And, and unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to uh, to see Danny or the team to ask um, you know to ask exactly what the problem was, but. Uh, yeah, really unfortunate situation for him because, you know, he's been building momentum, obviously had the win at Knockhill and was looking forward to, you know, continuing that kind of form. Um, you've got to say that, that Scott and the Ducatis and Taron, to be fair, have looked like a little bit of a step ahead of everybody here this weekend. But um, I think young Andrew Irwin, uh, going back he's to him, he's, he's, yeah. he's sort of enjoying the challenge that he's being set at the moment and uh, obviously took some points off of his teammate this weekend um, who's just in front of him and in the yeah. showdown position at the moment so uh, and Peter Andrew's, Hickman's had a decent weekend as well hasn't he so it's all closing up now yeah, for those last it, spots in the showdown exactly there's two more rounds now for for the guys to get themselves in the top six um, and yeah it's going to be all guns blazing at Frankston that's for sure last question then Shane before you drive off in your Honda Jazz at uh, tremendous speed uh, and with great traction underneath you as well and comfort to the seats and everything incredible else incredible economy uh, Thruxton in two weeks time uh, what will be the key there who should be quick there you sound like Charlie Hiscott what's, what's the, the key? key yeah that's Charlie's <laughs> default question to pull back up. that's so, the one that's the fallback question yeah. he taught me that um, mine in the commentary is I usually refer to the weather if, if it's a bit of a fire fight you'll probably hear yeah. me referring to the weather yeah um, actually um in my opinion, Fruxton's going to be quite an interesting race for Scott because mm, yeah. he seems to be able to, to make tyres last, but Fruxton is notoriously hard on tyres. And, you know, Scott's kind of all-action, kind of semi-hanging-it-out style, yeah. you know, drifting around a little bit, yeah. isn't going to work. And his teammate, Josh Brooks, is is one of the better racers around, um, around Fruxton. Um, they obviously have all of my data from from my years there and and in 2016 we went ridiculously fast around there yeah. um and 2017 i was pretty much useless but uh you, you had a puncture didn't you in 17 i seem to remember yeah we had all sorts of problems i went there so excited and so looking forward to you know the the bike working like it did in 16 and, and we just couldn't 
we couldn't get it working. And why uh, is that then? Why I know it sounds like a stupid question, but how can it go from being so amazing one year with the same bike and you know an improved bike, but same rider and everything else? It's weird, isn't it, really? I honestly couldn't tell you because if I did. <laughs> Um, and I knew the answer to that, then I wouldn't have had the problem in the first place. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, no, we had a torrid weekend in 17 and uh, I love Fruxton. You know, the, the rush of riding around there so fast, going through Church Corner at like 130, 140 miles an hour and, you know, up to pretty much 200 miles an hour up the back straight before braking for the last chicane, you know. Scott's going to have to really focus on um, tyre conservation because that is critical there. Um, I think there's one place that the Yamaha might go really well Traditionally, the Honda's been pretty difficult on tyres because the internals of the Honda engine make it spin up quite a lot. Um, although Honda have done quite a lot of work in uh, in recent times, they're a great team. I get on really well with a team by still Harvey Beltran, and you know talk to him pretty much every weekend that we come racing because you know not only was he my team manager but he's a good friend of mine. Um, and they're working hard behind the scenes to, to make that Honda as good as possible. And, and let's not forget, you know, potentially there's a new bike out next year as well. Um, but yeah, if they can if they can conserve their tyre wear well, there's no reason why they can't be competitive too. And, and Andrew's definitely up for that challenge. I will see you at Thruxton. You will do. Well done. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll be there in uh, two weeks' time. But there will be a podcast next week as well, a full throttle podcast. No idea yet who's going to be on it, who I'm going to speak with, but we'll have to think of someone. I will see you at Thruxton, Shaky. See you then. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.